Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 113. My name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts. And on Life of the School, I sit down with a panel of uh, life science teachers, and we talk about what's going on in our classrooms. Uh, this week, we are going to have a conversation where we're going to start with our goofy question, which is, would you rather live where it snows, it only snows, or the temperature never falls below 100 degrees? I think our geography is going to betray us on this one. Uh, but Ryan, welcome, uh, Ryan Laxon from Missouri. Which would you pick? Uh, I would definitely pick where the temperature never falls below 100. Um, I put that I have island genes, and <laughs> I don't think that I could survive if it's if it only snows. All right. Well, you're you're being tested this winter. Um. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. And joining us next from uh, a place that is actually, I think, colder than Massachusetts right now, but Lee Ferguson from Texas. <laughs> Welcome, Lee. I, we, I had a feeling I knew your answer before I asked it. Oh, but... yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely where it never gets below 100. I mean, and that's for a couple of reasons, because despite the fact that I am quite well insulated, I am not built for the cold. <laughs> and and I actually break out into hives when I'm exposed for, for any length of time to cold weather. And so I learned that one year doing a 5k in it was a february and it was only like 50 degrees but once i got back in the car i itched all over <laughs> and i was like yeah i can't i can't do it no okay. <laughs> I, can't oh, what, do it. I wonder what the scientific explanation is for that you know that's a good reason a, a good question like i asked my doctor about it and she was like we don't even know why this happens i'm like so you're telling me i can't do anything for this she goes yeah pretty much mm. <laughs> you know so i can't take benadryl i can't you know, the only thing I can do is just stay warm, like keep bundled <laughs> up. <laughs> so, you know, some are kind of tricky, though, like if I'm in the car with the uh, when it is 100 plus outside here, which is pretty frequently, and I've got the air conditioner going, I have to point the vents away from myself. Wow. So, yeah, it's it's a pain. <laughs> it's a pain. <laughs> All right. And lastly, joining us from Arizona, I got to imagine we know where Tanea is going to come in, was Tanea Hebler. Welcome, Tanea. Ah, thank you. Yes. Um, I, I live in Arizona. It gets cold in the desert, though. You know, believe it or not, it, it does get cold. It drops. It actually yeah. it snowed um, in Phoenix this year. In parts of Phoenix, it snowed. Um, All right. I, I, I prefer to live somewhere where the temperature is, um, yeah, not going to get below 100. <laughs> and I lived in Thailand before, and I would love to live in Thailand again because yeah. uh, it never got cold. I think, like, it would get 70 degrees and people would put jackets on, <laughs> um, sweaters on. I was one of those people. And my jeans, too, are probably from people who, well, some of my jeans <laughs> some of my DNA, some of my ancestors lived closer to the equator. And so I, I think I'm designed to be um, not not necessarily on the equator, but close to it. <laughs> All right. And well, I'm moving to Shenzhen. It's going to be warm there, too. Yeah, I was going to say we, we get to that. But you're you're also heading heading to a warm place as well. Uh, but and I'm apparently the only Yankee in the group, which we knew before. Uh, I can deal with the snow uh, <laughs> as I was uh, out in my front yard uh, dealing with ice dams on the front of my house earlier this week. And um, when I did that, there were uh, 
I was wearing, I realized I was wearing a t-shirt and a sweatshirt and a hat and some gloves. Um, <laughs> so I didn't even have a coat on. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But it, it was like, but it was warm. It was like 34, 35 degrees out. It was, you know, oh, it's like a sauna. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was 34 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, it's pretty warm. Yeah, I like my my winter coat. Wait, you guys would not be able to. My winter coat is not that heavy. Like, like I don't get a big fluffy winter coat. Those are uncomfortable. Like, um, like I have a series of of like light spring jackets. Um, <laughs> are you are you are you like dead serious? I am dead serious. Yeah, yeah. Because like, I put on a ski outfit to walk my dog if the temperature <laughs> drops like to like fifty or forty something. I put on a ski outfit to walk my dog in the morning. Yeah, I, I kid you not, 50 degrees is legit shorts weather in New England. Like in Massachusetts, like 50 degrees, like I'll wear a, a light sweatshirt, a T-shirt, shorts. That is that is Massachusetts. And there are kids and we were uh, we had this uh, Twitter conversation that Lee was with. Uh, I was having with Lee the other day and it was the folks in Minnesota. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I and I said there's shorts weather and, the, the you know, it's it's below zero up there. And there are kids who come to school in shorts in the middle of the winter. Oh, yeah, and, I have those kids, too. And it's, I think it's just because they're crazy. <laughs> yeah. But but you're in Texas and they do that. They do that in Massachusetts and in Minnesota. Like it, it'll be 20 degrees outside and it'll be, you know, these boys that walk in and they got shorts on, you know, and we have all of our windows open because of the COVID and, and, you know, there are spots in the, the building which are cold during the day. It's not just because they're in a warm car and then a warm building. They're, you know, around here, there are folks that, you know, we run hot. I sleep in shorts all year long. Are, um, are they on the swim team? I know the swim team kids do that, but are they on the swim team or are they just regular kids? Yeah, they're, they're just regular doofus high school students from <laughs> New England. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so uh, before we get into uh, this episode, I did want to bring up a, a quick follow up. We we recorded our episodes and I think our first episode dropped. And like the next day, the College Board announced that they were ending their SAT subject area tests. Um, <laughs> So I think we are prescient uh, in this, um, and we're also in the midst of College Board figuring out how their how schools are going to roll out their their AP tests. Um, I don't know if your schools are currently in those conversations. Yes, I hope so because there's three different test dates. Yeah, yeah. different administrations. Yeah, our school is in the process of trying to determine how they're going to do it. I mean, because we give over 3,500 exams, you know, on our campus. And, and so we don't have a good way to keep kids safe, you know, and, and to sanitize everything and, and, and all of that. So yeah, I don't envy my testing coordinator or my AP coordinator's job in trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and we also have, and, and I know this is the case for you, Lee, while we have some kids who are face to face, you know, I have a, ki- a cohort of kids who've opted to be fully remote for the whole year. Right. And if you go with that first date, they have to come in and do a face to face exam. Because it's paper. Yeah. Yeah. It's a paper exam. And then I know that biology is digital if you go to that second date, but all of them are not digital right. on that second date. So it's, it's very complicated. And I asked, I think uh, I asked two questions uh, about the program and I got, uh, yeah, we'll look into that. They, it, it's very early for us as we look into that, but it's going to be complicated to figure out what the best uh, choice is. Well, and um, if I remember correctly, there are some of those exams that are not digital at all. Yeah. I think it's uh, music theory um ap chinese maybe and ap japanese i don't remember if it's the two asian languages or not but i know the theory is one that is not offered as a digital version at all 
I mean, I don't think they can, they can really, the schools can make that decision until they maybe right. survey the students and the parents to see what their needs are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, is that, you know, talk about as, as we have been doing for the last year, um, we are now predicting what the world will be like in May. Um, <laughs> and and well, I don't know about you, but I've been really bad at projecting what the what things are going to be like, you know, next week, let alone three months from now, you know, four months from now. It's, it's really hard. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I agree with Lee's sentiment. I do not envy our, uh, our AP coordinator, um, but I know those conversations are happening and I have a feeling that those decisions have to be made sooner rather than later. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. Well, uh, this week uh, we've decided we're going to tackle the the topic of communication. I think that does apply a little bit to uh, the idea of finding out what's best for families, but uh, communication specifically with uh, students and families. And, um, you know, I, we were having a digital conversation and I think it actually came out in one of our early episodes that I was like, uh, this is probably a whole episode because this is an area where I realized um I make a lot of assumptions about communication, but I realize that when I talk to other people about how they communicate uh, to their parents, uh, to parents of kids or to students, that there really is a lot of diversity that's out there. So um, what are your primary ways of communicating with students about like assignments and expectations? Let's start with the student communication. Lee, what are your primary ways? So because I'm hybrid right now, um, I have kids in person. And so yeah. I, I'm, I'm always communicating verbally with them. Um, but for all of my students, and this has been the case for the last, I guess, seven years now since we've been using Canvas, I use Canvas. And I really take advantage of the announcements feature of Canvas, which is super nice because I can delay posting things if I need to, um, which I've had to do sometimes. Sometimes I will use Skyward. Skyward is our great book. And we have the ability to mass email through Skyward because we can email kids. We can email parents. So I use that sometimes. And then I also have the daily schedule board. Like I have a whiteboard in my room that I use to tell kids, here's what we're doing today. Here's what you're responsible for doing. Here are your due dates. And then I transitioned that to a digital version this year because I wanted the kids who are going to be remote to have a feeling of, oh, here's what it's kind of like to be in Mrs. Ferguson's classroom. Hmm. So they see a Google slide every day that shows them, here's what Mrs. Ferguson's whiteboard actually looks like. And then the font that I use kind of approximates what my handwriting looks like. <laughs> and so <laughs> I put it in the same colors as you would see on the board in the classroom. So they kind of get the feeling of being there without actually being there, but it says the same things. And so there's lots of different ways that kids get information from me. Um, so there's really not an excuse for, well, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then, of course, we have a calendar that we keep in Google um, as a Google Doc, a living document that the kids see. So tons of different ways. Tons of different ways. All right. Uh, Tanea, how about you? So it seems like we got some similarities here. Uh, how do you communicate? Definitely. We have um, Canvas as well. And so, OK, so my my school's open right now. Mm -hmm. But just like a lot of schools, there, there are students that are distance learning right now permanently for the rest of the school year. So I'm on Zoom every day um, with all my classes. Uh, Canvas is um, a great way. You, there's a Canvas messaging system and a lot of kids have it set up so that the Canvas emails will go straight to their Google email. Mm -hmm. And But you also can do announcements in Canvas. 
You also, um, through the grade book, um, we can make comments to students. You can make comments in Canvas in the assignments and the kids will, if you put a zero in, <laughs> that's a great <laughs> way to communicate. I, especially if you put a comment and say, hey, resubmit or, you know, you left this part out or it's incomplete. That's a great way to communicate with students too. Um, they tend to respond to that faster than anything. Um, and then I have also the that Google slide. It's like my Bitmoji classroom as well. And hmm. on my Bitmoji classroom, I have like a little computer on the desk and it says email me. So if for some reason the kids by this time don't know my email, they can just click on that button and they can email me. They can see the assignments for the week, like what's the layout for the week that we're doing. Um, and then in the beginning of the school year, we always have, uh, what is it called? The, you know, like the, what is it called? That back to school night or meet the teacher night. Yeah. And so I try to communicate my expectations with parents. Or, oh, well, with parents and students early on just so that there's no miscommunication. And then this year in particular, we sent out a letter to all the students who were in our classes mm -hmm. um, before class started. And we said, hi, um, you know, my name is Tanea Hibbler. I'm your teacher, blah, blah, blah. And this is a zoom link to reach me for class. And this is how you contact me if you have problems. So normally I wouldn't do that. But um, at the beginning of each semester, we sent out that extra letter just to remind students like, this is how things are going to be going uh, for the first, you know, couple of weeks. I think we were yeah. virtual for like two or three weeks at the beginning of um, the first semester. And then this after Christmas break, we were virtual for like a week, I believe. Wow. All right. And uh, I, I've gotten a lot of these different inter interesting things. I'm realizing I don't have my like, Bitmoji classroom I that everybody was setting up and I was like I don't think I'm gonna do that but now I got two of you doing it and I'm like oh well maybe I should have maybe I should be setting that up <laughs> all right R Ryan how about you what are your primary ways uh I think you use the Wells Fargo wagon right the horse and buggy the... <laughs> absolutely no, that's about all we have out in the sticks um no just like Lee and Tanea I use canvas I use emails we also use an app called band um, it's kind of like Remind. So my classes each have their own band group. And so if I have announcements specific to that class, I'll post something there. They can message me on band as well. And it gives my administrator access to the messages. So it's not like I'm just privately texting a student. They, they have access to all of that. Um, I also use Google Voice for my um, community college uh section that I adjunct for. So my students don't have my personal phone number. I just set up a Google Voice account and they can text me through Google Voice. And so I, I, I have lots of different ways as well. Well, it's it's interesting that, um, you know, all three of you guys have Canvas and my, my school, we're a Google, we're predominantly Google school. And so I've been using Google Classroom uh, and really almost all of my communication goes through Google Classroom, um, which is integrated into their, we have Gmail-based email accounts as well. Um, so yeah, we go through the Google Classroom and I share uh, planning docs. Um, and then the other thing that I've been doing, I don't do the, the daily whiteboard, but I've actually been making like weekly screencastifies that are mm -hmm. like one minute. I try to make them one minute. They're always between one and two minutes. And I post them out on Sunday. 
And I basically, cause I have, um, I'm hybrid as well, but we're a, we're not a, a hybrid where some kids are home and some kids are in class. We're a hybrid where some kids come to school on Mondays and Thursdays and come, some come Tuesday and Friday. So the, and they're doing asynchronous days on the other day. So they're not seeing me on the days they don't come in. They just have other work to do. So I lay out sort of the expectations of synchronous and asynchronous work for my two cohorts. Um, and I do that in a video and I found that it was easier for them to lay it out that way. Um, and so I've been doing that weekly and the feedback is you know, at least early in the year, I'm due to get my second survey out very soon to see what's working. But uh, a bunch of kids have told me having that just like 60 to 90 second overview has been super helpful. Um, in the case that it's like Thursday and they have forgotten um, what, what was what that's they're supposed a, to do. That's a really good idea. Yeah. And as we're talking about the different things that we're doing as far as communicating with students and the ways that we're employing, you know, the different tools that we have access to, um, this is just me thinking out loud here, but maybe that should be something we talk about in a future episode, like things that will continue after oh, yeah. the pandemic wanes. Like what are some things that we've, you know, done this year that we found to be particularly effective, you know, because that's one of the reasons why I posted on Twitter about my schedule board. Cause I'm like, you know what? I really like this and this is helpful. Yeah. Because the kids can go back and look at this. And, and for me, it ends up being a perfect record of here's what I did all year long, <laughs> you know, yeah. here's, here's what I did. So I I'm definitely going to continue. Yeah. And I, I mean, I already have sort of my, I have a version of that, which is a, sort of a gridded out schedule, which I, I have that. I just don't, I, I do it sort of weekly. <laughs> I don't do it to the daily. And then that sort of video wise, I sort of talk through yeah. what is the equivalent of that board for you. Gotcha. Um, the other thing I do is I do uh, weekly zoom office hours um, and I rotate them from, I do one evening and then the next week I'll do like right after school. Um, so like our Wednesdays are, slightly shorter days but they're fully remote for all kids so right after the school day ends on wednesdays mm -hmm. i have an office hour and then the next week i'll have it tuesday evening so i'll have a one hour block where kids can check in and my honors kids um when a test is coming up or there's an assessment coming up i'll see a couple of them um they don't check in very much but my ap kids are like they love office hours and I see them. I mean, I also mandate that they come, but um, I have kids who come like three to four times a quarter to check in and to go over like practice essays or to go, you know, to go over uh, problems that came up on a classroom or like it, the, that's the thing you talk about things that um, I communicate a lot. The thing that I miss about communication is sort of those unstructured conversations you have when you walk around the classroom and the kids are at the tables. And, and that's usually such a major way I talk to kids and find out what needs to be clearer. And, you know, I get a lot of informal feedback from kids about what they're struggling on that way. Right. And that has sort of vanished this year. Yeah. Um, I would agree with that. I think also, you know, one of the things I keep telling colleagues that I miss is, you know, like you said, that informal communication, but also just kind of the banter mm. you know, that happens because, you know, we're, Every, everyone would, you know, everyone I think would, would agree that building relationships with kids who are remote learners this year has been incredibly difficult. And, and I think that, you know, when we're all in person, you know, it's that, that, that little back and forth that you have with kids that really helps you to get to know them, they get to know you, you know, uh, and, and that's what helps build community in a classroom, you know, and that's definitely been missing. You know, and as much as I've tried to do that, it's so hard <laughs> because half my kids are there. You know, well, I say half, 20% of my students are in the room and the rest are on, you know, Zoom. So, yeah. Totally well, 
and I, I do I do agree, and I think that um, and this is probably I, I feel very bad for teachers who had very little facility and very little comfort with digital tools coming into this year. Um, because if you've been screencastifying or making screencasts, if you have been doing audio stuff, if you've been doing things like that, if if you have a if you have done a lot of professional development, you did a lot of PD remotely, you start to develop a comfort level where you can recreate that banter or it takes you less time to get to that banter point mm-hmm. using digital tools. Um, so I think that I have, while it's not nearly as good because I have so much less time with my students, you know, I've lost 40% of my time with my classes. So that's 40% less time to engage with them and build those relationships. Um, I think that, I mean, I just, I got an email the other day from a student because uh, I'm a Liverpool fan and he's a Leicester City fan and Liverpool played terribly. And so I got an email to which he, <laughs> he told me, he, he basically gave me an email to give me stick, you know, which is pretty gutsy for a 15 year old. Um, uh, <laughs> but like, I take that as, uh, that's like, that is the evidence I have that, all right, a lot of the stuff that happens on a given year, normally that's going on. Like that's, I still have that with some kids, Um, but I think it's, I do think, I bet you that I have 40% less than I normally would. Um, So, yeah, I, so so, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, sometimes I let the kids, because the Zoom had the update, but not all the kids did the update on Zoom. So they can (laughs) choose their breakout rooms now. And I noticed like the first time that I let the freshmen actually like choose their own breakout rooms. Some of them were like, you know, after class was winding down and we were like getting ready to clean up and spray the tables, some of them would jump into someone else's Zoom and they're like, yeah, I got to I got to jump into someone's room to crack on them about their football team. And it was like, <laughs> oh, this is fun because like now the kids can like talk to other kids that they're not even in the group with if they really want to. Yeah, but it can be distracting, too. So I don't let them do it all the time. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, there's, there's definitely pieces where, um, you know, like I have a group that's fully online and it's really small. Um, and I've been very intentional about like, so I get to have a lot more smaller conversations with them where it's only like me and like three others or four others talking to each other. And you, that's how you build rapport with kids. It's not in the big, you know, talking to 25 kids at a time, it's usually the small group conversation or the one-on-one conversation. And those breakout rooms are huge for that. Um, especially when the remote group. So my remote groups, I feel like I have a really good rapport with, uh, because of that, but it conversely, like when I go remote with my freshmen and sophomores, I've got like one or two rooms that are like rocking and rolling and they're laughing, you check in and they're doing great. And I go to others and everybody's muted and their cameras are all off (laughs) and they're just, they're just working on the dock. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely been interesting to watch that. Um, so, uh, the, the other thing I was thinking about is as the nature of communication, we just mentioned like all of these different tools. And I know Lee, you talked about scheduling things, but I mean, the fact is, is if your kids can contact you really 24 seven, um, they can get access to this stuff 24 seven. Do you have any guidelines? So you're not on teaching. Um, they certainly don't pay us to work 24 seven. Um, so do you have any guidelines? So you're not answering questions all of the time. What kind of, what kind of things do you, uh, put, do you communicate any like restrictions? So Tanea, how about you? Do you, do you put any caps on, on this or have any guidelines? Wait, we're not getting paid to work 24 <laughs> seven. I can't believe that. 
it's Valentine's Day. I, I'm going to yeah. be working today. <laughs> and I, I work, you know, I, I think I were. I, oh, Friday was a day off for me. I went to work on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> That's really sad, isn't it? I literally drove to work so I could get some work done and not be disrupted. Oh, oh. Um, uh, yeah. And there were no kids, just me and my fish and my snakes and everything. But I got uh, a little bit of work done. So um, I'm the teacher that encourages students to, because, okay, I find that a lot of kids have questions, whatever it is. It, it, it could be a question about absolutely anything. It could be some hmm. question that I think is silly or whatever, but they have this um, sometimes where it's like, oh, you're not supposed to ask questions or I've, I've heard that some teachers make kids not feel so great when they ask questions. Um, and I, I just want to create, uh, as much as possible. And maybe I don't do this a hundred percent perfectly, but for me, it's just better. I just say, if you have a question, no matter what it is, ask it. If you're, if you find yourself over the weekend and you know, you have some really pressing question or concern, just go ahead and send me an email. Like if that's what you need to do. Uh, and do I get questions from kids sometimes like some random question, on a weekend from a kid. Uh, yeah, I do. But uh, if I'll tell the kids, like, if I can respond to your question, I will. If I can't, if I can't get back to it till a little bit later, I'll, you know, in school, we're back in school. I'll, I'll answer your question as best I can when we're in class. Mm -hmm. I just am encouraging them to speak up and advocate for themselves and, and get the um, help that they need. And sometimes I find out like, oh, well, this kid just has maybe their group was going too fast and they just need to have a quick like 10 minute conversation with me. And that conversation will be um, get them to where they need to be to understand the material. Now, the problem is, is that there's 140 of them or so. And like one of me and I feel like, and then I'm being asked to do, I get questions from like adults about how did you do this in your classroom? Or how did you, I mean, just emails from like random random people um or maybe it was people i taught at a, in a workshop or something so between mm. or people i i got like last week i think two emails from people wanting me to present at a conference with them and sometimes i just have to be rude and i'm like my bandwidth is very thin i cannot take on anything else i'm sorry um, <laughs> i cannot help you or i'm not available or whatever um but a lot of times I feel like, especially if it's something at my job, I feel like I have to answer the question. Someone's emailing me. They're asking me a question. I have to answer the question. So yeah. the problem is, is that sometimes I feel like I don't have the space and the time or the time's not like built into the schedule for us just to be available and answer questions like in that way. And so mm -hmm. it's not perfect, but that's what I do in my class. I just, I say, ask questions as much as you can ask, ask, ask. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I, I, I'm going to come back to this, but the idea of where students are in their comfort level of asking questions plays a huge role in how much you want, because some kids have like the, like the floodgates are already open and they have like 10 million questions and they'll just ask and ask and ask. But that's rarer than the kids who never ask any questions. Um, I find I have more kids who never ask any questions. Um, so that can be, that can be a, it's a, it's where, do, where do you make the, draw the line on that is hard. All right. How about you? How about you, Ryan? How about uh, you? Uh, what kind of guidelines do you put on or do you not put guidelines on at all? Um, 
you know, I, I'm like Tanea. I, I would rather them ask the question than feel like that they have to guess. Um, I, just like her, I tell them if I can reply, then I will. And if I can't, then I won't. I'll reply when I can. Um, I think more so it's been putting guidelines on myself as to <laughs> when I can re re reply. So I'm not having a full-on text conversation during dinner or if I'm you know, with my family, I'm not ignoring them so that I can respond to something that is trivial. But um, I... I, I feel I feel like I want to just like Tanea foster that um, feeling of hey this this person is a resource to me I, I feel comfortable asking them questions I'm, I'm going to ask them when I have them um, I will say that my students by by and large do not ask very many questions um, <laughs> we I might get one a week, maybe. Um, and because we use Band and because I use Google Voice, you know, I, I can get stuff pretty immediately. So I, I really don't get that many questions. Not not as much as I did as when I worked at my suburban, my previous suburban school district. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Ryan, do you find like because of the pandemic and like, they're not being like there's these times where we're just not physically with kids that that also is affecting like you don't have kids wa randomly walking into your room as much. Does that affect also the questions that you get and how many of them? Um, we, you know, I, I hate to say that the pandemic hasn't affected my school because it, of course, has. But we are by and large face to face. Um, we do not have the large numbers of students that are virtual like most schools do. My, my community, by and large, does not view the pandemic as a problem. So most students are in person. And so um, I, I can't say that I'm, I'm seeing much of a difference. They're, they're popping in whenever they want to my classroom they're messaging me if if they have a random question when they're not with me but it's it's been about the same i, I haven't noticed a difference yeah i had a sneaking suspicion that was the case based off of our earlier conversations that um <laughs> yeah whereas my kids are my kids are emailing me my former students don't drop by anymore but they will message me or wave down the hallway but they don't come they don't drop in nearly as much this year yeah. All right. Lee, Lee, the person who taught me that I'm supposed to not work every day of the week. Uh, Lee, who taught me that Saturdays should be a day I take off from schoolwork, which I've done an okay job with this year. Uh, how about you? What are your parameters? Yeah. So I was going to say, I sound like the odd one out in the in this bunch because, you know, my students know that, you know, if it comes, if the mail, if you send me an email after I leave the building and I tell them generally I'm gone by five to five thirty every day, then I'm not going to get to it until the next day. Now that sounds really terrible, but <laughs> you know, I, I learned last spring when we were, you know, working from home, if you don't set boundaries, then they are going to expect that you are available 24 seven. And I am not available 24 seven. I'm not willing to make myself available 24 seven. And, you know, the thing is, is if we make ourselves available 24 seven, then that means they're also being students 24 seven, which is just as unhealthy. 
And so, you know, I tell kids, look, if it's super urgent, get it to me before the end of the school day, you know, because then I can respond to it and potentially help you. It's not that I'm not willing to help you. I'm more than willing to help you. But this is the these are the boundaries I have chosen to set for myself, Um, you know, and they understand that. And for the most part, they respect that. Um, you know, but just don't send me something urgent overnight. If it, if you're sending it to me overnight, then it probably wasn't that urgent to begin with. Um, you know, and so, you know, when I'm in school and the kids are contacting me during the day, I'm excellent about getting right back to them. In fact, the kids are like, you got back to me so fast. I'm like, yeah, because you're answering, you're asking me a question now that I assume you need help with right now. So I'm going to go ahead and respond to that when I have asynchronous learning time, you know, cause obviously I've got it only half the period. (laughs) And so, you know, I think it's important to set those boundaries, not just for yourself, but for the kids too, because they need to learn that they're not expected to be students 24 hours a day either. You know, because what we always, the conversations that my colleagues and I have are that, you know, we have kids that are depriving themselves of sleep, you know, because they're doing homework till two or three, four o'clock in the morning and then waking up for school at, you know, seven o'clock and going to school from, you know, eight until four, you know, and that's not healthy behavior either. And so, you know, it's really, it's a, it's a behavior that I adopted, I guess now two years ago, just to try and set boundaries for myself. And it is probably the best thing I have done for myself in terms of Mm self-care. And like I said, it's something that I tell my students at the very beginning of the school year, Hey, this is, these are my operating rules. This is what I do. You know, now having said that, I tell them, please don't ever be afraid to ask questions. You know, I'm always, I'm always going to answer your questions. It may not be right away, depending on when you ask it, but I'm always going to answer them. Um, And the other thing that I find funny too, and and today I wanted to ask you this, do you find that your students apologize for asking so many questions? You know, because I have, I had a kid this last week who he pointed something out to me about how his last test was graded. And I was like, okay, well, I'll go back and look and see. And, you know, and in his email, in the two emails that he sent to me about it, he's like, I'm so sorry to keep bothering you about this. I'm sorry to bother you about this. You know, and I had responded to him fairly quickly. And I was like, don't apologize for, for asking questions about this. I said, you're advocating for yourself. And that's so important. You know, so please don't apologize for this. You know, you were right. And I apparently couldn't do math. So, you know, this is fine that you asked me about this. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. You know, so I was just curious, do any of you ever you know, for the students that do ask you questions, do you find that your students apologize, you know, or, or say, I'm sorry to bother you, you know, cause I seem to get that a lot. And I don't like, I don't like to think that I give off that vibe that I'm annoyed by the questions. Cause I'm not, you know, but I'm curious to know, do the rest of you ever get that from kids? Yeah, I think, I think it's a, it's the student's personality. Like some students are the type of student who they say, I know you're really, really busy. You have mm-hmm. a lot of grading to do. I, I, you know, I'm sorry to bother you. And I, I sorry, I'm sorry. I turned this assignment in late, but could you blah, 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 blah. Um, and I'll just, you know, do whatever I got to do or I'll respond and say, got it. You know, so they know that at least I saw the email and I'm, I'm getting to it. Uh, I could be notorious for, um, <laughs> taking a while to get some of the assignments graded. Some things take a long time to grade. And yes. uh, sometimes I'm like, why did I assign so many things? So, yeah, uh, I what I don't like is when students will send me an email and like bark at me, bark an order like mm-hmm. that. I don't have a life like they expect that I could just respond to any email super quickly and they they turn something in late 
and yet they're expecting me very, very quickly to turn around and get their grade changed. Um, and I, you know, I wouldn't have that problem of falling behind if kids weren't as much if kids weren't turning in assignments late. So that's like, I don't, don't start barking orders at me and expect a whole lot from me at all. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, Lee, I get a lot, I, that apology component I get a lot of, and I think, I, I do think there's also, I, I agree with a lot of what Tanea said, but I thought also what Tanea had mentioned about the the concept of um, the concept of sort of the culture in some teachers make students feel like they're it's not okay to ask questions or they feel dumb for having asked a question. They felt belittled. Um, I, I definitely get a, a impression that some students view question asking almost as a sign of academic weakness. Like if they were a stronger student, they would have just got it the first time. And the fact that they have to ask a question somehow is a sign of weakness. And therefore, they're apologizing for that. And I, I don't know if I'm misreading it, but that's that is an impression I get. But I definitely I have a, a, an exact student in mind who I have had dozens of conversations with this year who I cannot remember a single time they asked me a question that they didn't apologize for first. Um, <laughs> and I think that's a, I think that's learned. I think they learned that through their academic career before they got to my classroom. Yeah. Some, I don't some know about classes. You. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, Ryan. go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't know about you guys, but I, I have to fight my own um, mannerisms. Like, so I, I'm just not very smart. And so when a kid asks me a question, I kind of squint and I have to think about their question. And I found that the kids think that when I do that, that I'm telling them that they're stupid, that, that it is a stupid question when really I'm thinking about what they're asking me. And so I, I unintentionally put off this vibe that I don't want to answer questions. But in reality, I'm just not that bright and I, I need to think about their question. That is a, I, I have a tendency to, when students ask, especially if it's like we're in the process of trying to reach some type of consensus about something, then I ask, they'll ask me a question. So if this is during class, they'll ask me a question and sometimes they'll say, I, I don't know, what do you think? Or so-and-so, what do you think about that? So then I really try to throw it back on them that like you guys, I, my job is not to answer all the questions for you and my thoughts and my ideas and how I think of the world is not necessarily so important. It's really, what's really important is what you guys think. And so um, if it's like about the content that we're working on and they're trying to work through something, I try as much as possible to throw it back on them and to have them kind of work out what, you know, with each other, what do they need to understand? But if it's like, they're just talking to me like, I want to know about some summer programs that I can apply to. Well, then, yes, I'm going to answer the question. So, um, and that's, at the beginning of the year, I think some kids found that very frustrating. But then they got to a point, like, typically they'll get to the point where they'll be like, well, she's not going to answer your question. She's just <laughs> going to, you know, you know, she just don't expect Mrs. Sibler to answer your questions. If you're going to ask, like, a direct question about, well, you know, what is the, what happens during, you know, anaphase two of meiosis or whatever. Um, and I make them do a lot of the, like they have to, as a group come, like, like I made them make Google slides. I made them make their own Google slides of meiosis. Like they had a, 
draw out the whole process and explain it. Um, and I, there, I was like, you know, I know this is going to take like a little bit of time on the slides, but if you do this, I'll be able to see really quickly if you have misconceptions about meiosis and I know, and you all do, cause I'm going to go around your groups and I'll see, I'll see the misconceptions <laughs> on your slides. Um, so I know you're going to have them, but trust me, like once we go through this, we'll know the areas that we have to work things out and then we'll be able to do that together. Um, but it's, it, it's time consuming and it does, they do ask me a lot of questions, but I, I, I don't answer all their questions. So some kids find it frustrating. And then if I'm in a rush, sometimes I feel like I have to answer their questions because, oh my gosh, we spent so much time on this. Um, yeah. So finding that balance can be really, really hard, but I try to hold back if I can, even though it's super hard to do that. Well, that has to do with your your modeling approach. Um, you know, I'm familiar with because I've been to your workshops. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think the the idea of modeling where students are going to discover is a even like a whole other set of of uh, of where the appropriate time to answer and ask. You know, let students ask questions and answer questions and how much to reveal. But um, you know, sort of, I'd say not to make Lee feel more like the outlier, but I aspire to be more like Lee <laughs> in terms of, of setting some parameters. Cause I think for the students who are, who are like those high end kids who like are really, they want to know the answers and they want to know right now, which I think is what Tanae is talking to a little bit. I have a lot of those kids and they just want the answers. And so they will ask. And, um, as, as you guys were answering questions, particularly Lee, when you were talking, I wonder about the message my leadership in my school has in terms of the way they communicate. We will get emails at like eight or nine at night, like posted out to our like discussion board, like our, you know, internal high school discussion board about, you know, some event is happening and we're going to be doing something the next morning. Um, and they'll send that out there. Now that doesn't go to my inbox. It goes to a folder that's an optional check folder that I may or may not see. So like, am I supposed to be on and checking that either late at night or first thing in the morning before I leave for work? Am I supposed to be checking that? So what are the parameters no. for when I'm supposed to be working and when I'm not? Um, they, My school district regularly makes announcements like at very strange times, very late times. And and I do wonder about the message they're sending to me about how much am I always supposed to be on and checking or how regularly am I supposed to be checking? And if I don't, is that a dereliction of duty? And what does that say about the culture of the communication expectations in my building? So can well, I interject? Because my district actually has some very particular parameters about when things can be communicated um, and, and all of that. And so we are told by admin that Communication with students only takes place between certain hours, right? Mm -hmm. Like you are not supposed to communicate with a student before 8 a.m. or after, I believe it's 9 p.m. or something like that. It might even be 7 p.m. Um, something like that. It's basically don't do this outside of the school day. Um, and the district is generally pretty good about sending communications to us within those hours, usually. Um, today was an exception. They did send us an email saying that our professional development day had been canceled um, and that we got a remind about it because we're supposed to have a PD day tomorrow. So we got that, of course, outside of the school day or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, 
And then, of course, if they're going to communicate with us about school being canceled on a regular school day, that's going to happen like at six in the morning. Um, But, you know, their expectation is that we are not communicating with students 24 hours a day. We're not communicating with parents 24 hours a day. So they've laid out some pretty particular boundaries for us. Now, do people follow them? (laughs) I try to stick to them as much as I possibly can. Um, But I can't say that that's true of all of my colleagues. Um, The other thing, too, is that, you know, our in-house admins have basically encouraged us to stick to those boundaries because they want us to have boundaries. You know, they they're very good about telling us, hey, you know, make sure you have time for yourself. Make sure that, you know, you're taking care of yourself, Um, you know, especially these last couple of years, because they've seen, you know, that there's, you know, staff is under a lot of stress. And so they've been, you know, pretty good about, you know, trying to remind us, hey, you know, you are not your job. You know, you are you are more than what you do every day. Um, And I know that there was a New York Times article recently about that. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I did see that there was a New York Times article about that recently. So um, but yeah, the, the district is pretty good about you know, setting those boundaries for us. And it's actually in writing (laughs) as well (laughs) for us. And so it's like, okay, don't have to tell me twice. (laughs) I'm going to strive to be more like respectful of my personal space and my personal time and create that because that has been like, I think teachers get burned out. Right. And that's one of the reasons they get burned out. And then we, we like, we've lost teachers this year. We've lost teachers in more, more than one way. Right. Um, unfortunately um but we lose teachers that are young and that are good and that we need um that the students need and that happens every year and i think public schools generally speaking um are struggling and the schools that struggle the most they seem to be struggling more and more year after year Mm -hmm. um and it just becomes this greater gap between the haves and the have-nots and so um you know, just to prevent that, like, yeah, I think, I think districts should set the tone, but I think during the pandemic, the emails have been coming like at all weird kinds of hours. There's been meetings at all weird hours, announcements about schools opening and closing and text messages from districts at all weird kind of hours. Um, And so I felt like it's just, we've been on. And I'm not talking about just because of my school. I'm talking about because of my kids, my kids' schools, everything, right. My husband's job, everything all the schools that my family is a part of all, all three of those different schools have created this, like, we, we got to check the email. We got to find out what's happening or what, you know? Yeah. I don't know if your admin shared with you, but my principal shared that he looked at our canvas activity and student activity is the greatest between 10 PM and 2 AM. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. I believe that. Yeah. Well, I, I believe that based off of the activity, you know, the, the submission times that I get on my Google Classroom um, on things as well. Um, although I will say my school made a concerted effort a few years ago to change our start time because we had one of the earliest start times in the state. And we had a an expert come in from Stanford and did a survey and they said they had never been to a school where students slept so little. Um, like, like they were like shocked by the data because we are, we're like a go, go, go kind of district. We're like a high performing high flyer and the kids run, feel under huge pressure, but the kids weren't sleeping. 
Um, and they were staying up super late and they're waking up super early and there's, we've had a lot of talk about sort of parameters and, 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 and things like that for students, but we haven't, I don't think the conversation is looped back around to the modeling of healthy work. Like we have a lot of conversations about student work and good parameters on student work and trying to push their window. And I think we've done a really good job on that. The times have gotten earlier for students submitting things. And I've been very clear about timelines and stuff like that. And one of the nice things about having due dates that are even time-wise, you can actually force kids to not stay up till two in the morning because you could set your parameters so that it's due at 10 at night or nine at night, or, you know, you can set timings that work in a better way. Uh, but I do think that that we haven't looped that back to the adults um, in, in my district yet. Um, not to say that's not coming, but it, it that, the, that, that process, I don't think, is being modeled by the adult, how the adults talk. <laughs> so, all right. Well, speaking of how adults talk, that's we call that a professional transition. Um, <laughs> so, how much uh, do you communicate directly with parents? Because uh, I, you know, I, I was saying that for me, this is a real weak spot, um, and I'm curious, uh, Ryan, uh, how do you communicate with, with parents? Um, I, I communicate with parents quite a bit. And my preferred way is some way that will have a written record of what I said. So we don't have to play, well, this is not what you said. I, I <laughs> always have a record of what was said. So my preferred method is email. Um, we, I do communicate with parents on the band app um, somewhat. Uh, but I try to avoid personal conversations because again i i just want that written record for when someone tries to twist my words and tries to tell my principal that i really said one thing when i actually said another um so i i am meticulous in logging every, every communication i have with with parents um especially my iep students i don't ever want it to appear as though i am um, ignoring an IEP. I definitely want to show that I'm meeting all accommodations. Um, mm. But yeah, I I talk to parents and I communicate with parents a lot, probably more so than most. Yeah. And so lots of written communications, you'll reach out, kids struggling, you're going to, you're quick to send an email. Is right. How you feel? Yeah. Right. I, I, I try to send at least one email, even if it's a, uh, your student is doing great. I love having them in class. I try to send one out, um, before the, uh, the midpoint of first quarter or the midpoint of each marking period, uh, so that they at least know who I am and how to contact me. Hmm. Uh, laudable. That's very laudable. <laughs> I, I can't, I, I can't map that, meet that standard or can't match that for, for myself. Uh, how about Lee? How, how about you in terms of communication? Okay. So, um, in the 25 years that I've taught, like this is my week, this is my weakness, mm -hmm. uh, is parent communication. It's my, it's the least favorite part of my job. It really is. Um, because I really prefer for kids to advocate for themselves. You know, because most of my senior, most of my students are seniors. You know, a lot of them are quote, you know, either eighteen or, or, you know, getting ready to be eighteen. And so I like to deal with the kids first, primarily. But if it comes down to, hey, you know, you're not going to graduate because you're not passing my class, <laughs> then yeah, I'm going to get your parents involved. And so, you know, when a kid is failing, um, I am going to contact you. 
you know, if you're, if you're the kid's parent, if I have to, you know, I usually do it by email because then I can attach progress reports and provide you evidence that, you know, little bunny foo-foo is not doing what they're supposed to do. Um, and then I, you know, usually, you know, end that email with, you know, please let me know what I can do to help. Um, I'll call if I can't get a hold of you through email, or if you want to meet with me face to face in the before times, that was very common. Um, but if not, then, you know, now I can do Zoom calls with parents if I need to. Um, if I catch your kid doing some academically shady things, yeah, I'm going to call you. You know, I'm mm-hmm. going to I'm going to contact you. And I've had to do that in the last couple of weeks, which has not been fun. But surprisingly, the parent contact I got back was actually really positive. Um, you know, thanks for letting us know this will never happen again. We are so sorry <laughs> that our kid did this. So I was actually shocked <laughs> at the responses I got. Um, something I've really tried to do intentionally over the past like four or five years is send parents just positive notes throughout the year, just out of the blue, because I think that parents don't get those enough from their kids' teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and generally, you know, when you're being contacted by the school, what's the first thought? I mean, those of you that are, you know, all three of you are parents, right? Mm-hmm. And, and surely your kid's school has contacted you at some point. I mean, and I'm betting that the first thought you had was, ah, oh, crap, what did they do now? You know? And I would much rather contact a parent and say, hey, I just want you to know your kid is awesome. You know, they did this really great or they've been such a joy to teach or whatever. And it's, you know, the the things I'm communicating to these parents are very genuine, you know, because, you know, your kid has done something that makes them stand out. And I want you to know that you have a great kid. And so I try to, I've tried to be more intentional about that kind of parent contact because I don't want parents to just get negative um, communication from the school. You know, I I think parents need to hear when their kids are doing something great. And, you know, it's funny, one time I I emailed a parent about their child and and had said, hey, you know, I just want you to know, you know, little bunny Fufu is a really fantastic student and she asks lots of questions and, you know, she always challenges me to, to, be better and to do this and that. And it was so funny because the kid came back the next day and she said, Mrs. Ferguson, my mom said that you emailed really nice things about me. I said, yeah, I did because they're true. And the little girl got so embarrassed. It was so funny. She turned like bright red. Why did you do that? I said, because your mom needs to know how hard you work and how great you are and and how you ask all these questions that are really good. And, and I think she needs to know that. You know, and so that that right there and this happened kind of close to the beginning of the year last year. And, you know, for that kid, it was just like, oh, my teacher actually, you know, recognized that I did something great. And and, you know, now she knows who I am and my mom knows that I'm doing great things. And and so for the rest of the year, that kid and I had a really great relationship. I still see the kid, you know, in in the hallways and stuff because she's back on campus and she hasn't forgotten that. You know, so sometimes, you know, making those positive, you know, you know, parent contacts can can be a really good thing. And what's yeah. the you called her little bunny foo-foo? What was the, <laughs> what did you say? Yeah, little bunny foo-foo. That's my my name for generic student when I don't want to use an, a kid's name. So they're all little bunny <laughs> okay, foo-foo. I like that. <laughs> yep, they're all little bunny foo-foos. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna use I, that I, little I, bunny foo-foo. I'm, I'm totally familiar with that one. That's one of those ones where I just like, let it go. Cause it was, I've heard that from me before. <laughs> All right. Uh, Tanea, how about you? What's your, uh, what's your pattern with uh, parent communication? 
Okay, so like I said in the beginning of this year, we sent letters out to the students and to parents to let them know um, how class was going to be organized and to make sure everybody was on the same page, that extra email that we don't normally send out. And uh, then we, I did meet the teacher night, and I went all out, and I did it on uh, using Prezi, not just <laughs> like a Prezi presentation, but like a Prezi video you're presentation through zoom type of thing so i was in the prezi presentation do you know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. i've seen You're it i was dance. like i was like in the presentation like the pres. <laughs> i was part of the presentation like it it was i don't know i can't explain it but i thought it, i'd never seen it before so i thought it was cool so i was like okay l- let me let the parents know that i really care about the meet the teacher night and i'm really trying to you know take this seriously and so um and i communicate to the parents during that that beginning of the school year at that meeting that listen like I know your job is to advocate for your your son your sons my in my case the sons Mm -hmm. um so like please don't wait to communicate with me about something until you're you think your kid's doing like has a problem in my class if you want to communicate about something please do it at any point anytime of course most parents don't um do that (laughs) so if a parent emails me and has a question about the grade book, I'll, I'll use, um, like I had one like this maybe like a week ago. And I just said, let's just get on zoom. Like right away. I said, let's, can we jump? Not zoom. Uh, let's, let's meet on Google meets real quick, you know, and let's just have a quick conversation. Cause that's just way easier. Uh, and then I just clarified a couple things, you know, and I told him like the grades updated. So now you know what the grade is. Now, now you know what your son needs to do to maybe make some adjustments that are going to help him carry him throughout the semester and into next year. And so I'll try to have those types of meetings uh, as requested. And I will email if um, most of the, I have honors and AP classes so that I don't really have an issue with kids um, failing usually or like kids not gonna graduate or kids not gonna pass it's just like that doesn't really happen um but like this year there have been some kids that have just been struggling like online um Hmm. and so i will reach out to some of those parents and say hey just want to let you know that this is what's going on and um you know i want to help i'm available this is you know if so and so can little bunny (laughs) foo meets with me (laughs) we can make you know i can help them i'm here to support them and like if a parent doesn't respond to that email i don't really know what to do at that point like you know i'm here to help your kid get a good grade and if you don't respond to that i don't really know what to do um but generally speaking there's not like a whole lot of communication with parents um you know sometimes i'll get like a a nice email from a parent here or there but for the most part I, I'm just, I'm not talking to parents a lot. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, I think that that sort of echoes things for me as well. Um, I don't have a ton of communication with parents. Um, um, and I, I do kind of feel like this is an area where what sort of Lee was saying, I feel like there's a weak spot for me. Um, I, my concern, particularly in the community where I teach is that I don't want to escalate things too quickly when a kid is struggling because sometimes kids have to struggle in order to figure in order to figure things out. So like if they're struggling and they did a little poorly on something, like I want to encourage them to figure some systems out to get better and I don't always know that the parents 
are the best way to help them out of that situation. Um, you know, like obviously if a kid's like expressing that they don't care or they're not like they're continuing to do bad things. But if usually if a kid struggles and I have a conversation with the kid, I can usually resolve that. So I always worry about when to get the parents involved. Like what's the right time? Cause especially early in the year when you don't know the kids very well, um, I feel like contacting parents is a huge escalation. So usually what I find myself is contacting the counselors or special educators first and saying, so, you know, the student struggled with this a little bit and, and how, you know, like, can you give me some context or is this happening across the board? And I can see their other grades and, you know, the other classes they're taking. And, and usually I try to take it from sort of like, I'm part of a village trying to help this child academically. And I usually bring in the other adults in the building to sort of help me gain context on the question um, before I reach out and talk to parents. Um, that's sort of my default manner of dealing with those. Now, obviously, if a kid, I, I had some situations earlier this year where I had some kids, again, you know, unusual year, unusual circumstances, um, where I contacted parents a little earlier because things were, you know, I think I went two weeks. I had one kid who didn't hand anything in for like the first two weeks of school. And I was like, what's going on? Like, this is a kid we're in hybrid. So I'd see the kid and I'd ask him and I was getting almost like no affect from the kid back. And it was like, all right, I'm speaking to this kid. I'm getting no affect back. They're still not turning things in. So then I contacted the parents, but that was after the, you know, I always try to start with the kid. Then I usually start with counselors and special educators. And then it's the parents um, before I'm going. And um, I, I wish I contacted them with the warm and fuzzies like you guys do. <laughs> you know, though, but it's it's interesting because um, nowadays the parents, know, like, they know what's in the grade book. You know? Yeah. Um, it's, they know, they can look, most of the parents that I see, yeah. they know how to get into Canvas. They can check their kids' grades or they can go into the official grading system. They know what's going on. I've even had p some parents who they're monitoring their students' email. You know, oh, wow. um, so it's not like they don't. I mean, I think they know what's going on. Um, well, in my district, the the grade book is is not open to parents. What? Really? <laughs> it, 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 it is open at mid year. It is open or mid quarter. It's open at the end. It is not. It is not open as they go. So they can't see everything, every single grade that's going in. Nope. See, and what's crazy about ours is that parents can actually set notifications for when a kid earns like a, gr a grade below a certain grade. So the the parents can get notifications that say, oh, little money foo-foo didn't turn this in and they got a zero, ping, and they get an email about it. Yeah. Because then if they're super involved, then those are the parents that will contact you. So I was checking on little money foo-foo's grades and I noticed that this, and, you know, because I, I have a couple of parents who are like that, um, yeah. and which is fine. You know, they're not pests or anything, you know, and I'm always very good about getting back to them and saying, so, Hey, yeah, your child didn't do X, Y, and Z. And, and we usually resolve everything within a couple of emails, but yeah, our grade books open wide open Yeah, <laughs> and, and even have access to canvas. You yeah. Know, and so you've, you just expressed the exact reason why it's not open. And I'm somebody who is not opposed to it being open, but they're because parent communication can so swamp things at my school. Gotcha. Um, and administrators are overrun by parent communication um, mm. because there are, again, it's, I, I'm making it sound like it's, you know, like they've got their pitchforks and their torches out in front of the building all the time. 
we have a very academically minded community. We're right. close to 2000 students and everybody goes to college and there is a good portion of parents probably a larger percentage than most schools that if they could monitor every single assignment they will they would yeah and if you make a mistake or if there's something up so the the fact is is that m- m- this year because of Google Classroom they will get notified if someone misses an assignment in the way it works but they they the micromanagement the there are specifically things set up to try to minimize the micromanagement by families mm-hmm. and and I I understand where it comes from, but I also am of the opinion that we should have a better cultural conversation about grade books and that sort of stuff. But we've never had anybody who was willing to tackle that from a dealing with how the teachers would feel and how the parents would feel and how the community that it's a big that's a big hurdle or big probably more mountain to climb um, in our school. And it just ne- we've never dealt with it culturally. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think there's um, there needs to be some kind of balance and like how we are grading as teachers we might need to update the way we grade right our practices Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. then how we communicate with parents or how parents respond to what we're putting in maybe there that needs to change too um I don't know it just seems like there's a there's a like for me as a parent I get really frustrated if I see that the you know that by the time there's a grade that's put in the grade book and it says zero my son doesn't have an opportunity I can see it as a parent but then I can email the teacher and the teacher says well that's a zero you're you know based on this grading policy there's nothing I can do about it and so it's like well so what's the point of even talking to your teacher then you know that's how I feel as a parent Or, or but it's different where like um my element, my other son who's in elementary school, his teacher emails me once a week, but she's emailing to say, oh, this is the, um, this is the schedule for the week. These are the, the spelling words that they're going to, here's a newsletter. Um, and then, you know, more or less everything that they do goes into the grade book. And then if there's something that needs to get done or updated, then it's like, it comes in, in his folder. And then mm-hmm. I know, is if there's a note on that paper um, that we need to maybe he he didn't finish something or he needs to like correct something, but it's not like I'm worried about that he's oh gonna he's not gonna get a he's gonna get a zero for something, you know. And then the the other teacher that he has will she'll send like emails and go oh we worked so hard on this project and here's a copy of the YouTube video we made and blah blah blah. So it's like a whole different kind of communication, and I I feel frustrated with my with my middle um, school sons, like that communication is only about grades and they don't seem to be kind of, there's no kind of flexibility or anything or nothing I can really do, except I have to be like that helicopter parent who's like on my son 24 seven watching him, which I can't do because I'm teaching or I just have to say, okay, well, you know, it is what it is. I I don't feel like communication with those teachers has helped a lot where I, I, I enjoy more so communicating with the elementary school teachers because they just are communicating about what they're doing in their classroom, what their hopes are, what their goals are. I'm telling you, elementary school teachers are superheroes. My, my daughter's <laughs> elementary school teacher is the same. I mean, it's fantastic. I, I aspire to be like her. Yeah. I, I don't know how elementary school teachers do what they do. Um, 
Mm-mm. Like all I have to understand is deep biology. Um, like they, <laughs> they have to understand kids um, <laughs> and have that sunshiny energy. And uh, man, I, I, I don't get where they get their fountain of energy. <laughs> yeah, they're saints as far as I'm concerned, because there was a time very early in my teaching career where I entertained the thought of teaching elementary school, like just for a hot minute. And then I came to my senses. I was like, yeah, no, couldn't do it. Could not do it. I would scare those poor kids. <laughs> I like when I'm they use class. High school. <laughs> I like when they use class dojo too. The, the teachers that like will send you videos and like little messages and notes of your what your child's doing in class like not Mm -hmm. all the elementary teachers do that but over since my son was in kindergarten you know he had a kindergarten first second now he's third grade teacher like they all use it differently but like when the principal or the teacher like interacts with you through that social media i like that a lot too yeah all right. Well, uh, if you have feedback for us about uh, communication, how you communicate with students or parents, um, uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. So uh, you can go and DM or tweet at Life of the School. Uh, you can also subscribe to Life of the School on your podcast player of choice. Uh, music on this and every episode is provided by Jake Jenkins and Ex-Magicians. Uh, you can get show notes at patreon.com slash lots. Uh, you can also chip in a bu- uh, buck or two. Uh, we are in the process of getting quality microphones to everybody. So we're going to fix this audio issue someday mm-hmm. when there's not blizzards and ice storms and whatever. Uh, we're going to get there. Uh, it's coming. Uh, you can also get show notes at lifeoftheschool.org. And again, you can follow us on Twitter at Life of the School. So we will see everybody soon. <laughs>